I tell people we are so fortunate regardless of what you do in the theater on or off stage, if you're in an office helping in, in producing, or if you're at a ticket counter, or if you have any kind of connection to this world, we are the most fortunate people because at the end of the day, our job and what we get paid to do is bring joy and entertainment into the lives of people. And there is really no greater gift. to episode six of Find Your Light, the podcast that helps women in theater take center stage in lives they love. I am your host and Broadway-worthy dreamer extraordinaire, Emily Stamets. I want to start with a question for you. Here it is. Ready? What is your next opening night? Now, I don't mean opening night like an actual show, but opening night like what are you working towards? What are you excited about? What's the next thing that you want to tell everyone on Instagram about? It could be a show, but maybe it's something different. See, I was chatting with the amazing Alana Clapp during the conversation you're about to hear, and she mentioned how her nerk, her how her nerks. <laughs> I'm gonna leave that in for fun. Uh, <laughs> podcast, yay! Anyway, so Alana mentioned that her next personal challenge was to set a new goal. Because I guess once you've been stage managing for Cirque du Soleil for 10 years, something has to come next. This conversation helped me realize that I also did not have a new goal. My last one was launching this podcast. Check. And since then, I sort of disappeared into the land of vaguely satisfied and completely unmotivated humans. And that's why goals are important. Not for the achievement of them but simply to be excited about something, to get your creativity flowing, to wake up each day with curiosity. So this morning I pulled out my journal and I took step one for me of setting some new goals, which was simple. I got out of bed, I drank some water, I made my tea, and I free wrote three morning pages in my journal. That was it. Doesn't sound very goaly, does it? But the first step of reopening the pipeline to my muse is to do some mental spring cleaning. And morning pages always help me to clean out those pipes. The spring cleaning step is super important because when we don't do that first, we might pick goals that don't work. It's really important to get grounded before you start deciding where you want to go. It's like if you were standing in a parking lot, you need to know where you are and where your car is (laughs) before you can figure out which direction to walk. So the next thing that I'll be doing throughout the course of the next week to set some goals is working on the three levels that I really like to work on. The first one is big, dreamy, Broadway-worthy goals. These are goals that are like possibly impossible to ever actually achieve. They are shiny and dreamy and perfect and amazing and simply give me a pinnacle to work towards. From there, I choose a couple of juicy, deadline-driven benchmark goals. Those are things that I know when I want to achieve them by. They're probably uh, quantifiable in some way. I can look at what I've done and say, yes, I can check that off my list. I achieved that. I did it. And then from there, I choose a couple of daily strategy goals that are going to, if I do them every day, they're going to help me get to those benchmarks and then eventually to Broadway. I highly encourage you to grab the closest writing implement and paper, or maybe a voice recorder, or find some open space to do some interpretive dancing, and think through those three levels for yourself. 
What is the big dreamy dessert that's waiting for you? What are two or three signposts along the way that are going to tell you you're making progress in that direction? And what can you do every day to get to each of those spots? I would love to hear what you come up with, so please email me or reach out via social media. I'm also planning to have a downloadable resource up on my website by then. I'll throw a link to that in the show notes. Okay, now on to the interview. My guest today is Alana Clapp. She's amazing. Uh, She began her career with Cirque du Soleil in 2009. And just for posterity, it's currently 2019, so it's been 10 years. She started with the show O at the Bellagio in Las Vegas. She joined the stage management team of Miss Dare in 2012, which I'm probably pronouncing totally incorrectly, so correct me, please, if you know how to pronounce that the right way. Um, She's currently the general stage manager for the company's longest-running Las Vegas production, which is that Miss Dare or Miss Dare or however you're supposed to say it. Alana is also an advocate for arts education programs and youth mentorship. She's presented at universities throughout the country, including Chapman University and University of California, Irvine here in Southern California, Um, also at Carnegie Mellon, which is her alma mater. In addition to her work with Cirque, Alana is a guest lecturer at the College of Southern Nevada. She's an instructor for the USITT Elite Stage Management Training Program. She's on an advisory panel for the Stagecraft Institute of Las Vegas. I mean, she's done a ton of stuff. She's basically um, the person I want to be when I grow up. If I wanted to be a stage manager, right, I would you want to just her. dive right in? Yeah. Perfect. First That's of all, perfect. how is the weather right now in Vegas? It's getting warmer. Um it's been really lovely. I love spring in Vegas, but you can't actually, at least I can't actually go outside because my allergies are so bad. So you kind of look at it from the window and it looks amazing and the weather is perfect. But when you go outside, you're like turned into this stop monster of a person. So <laughs> it's not. Vegas is like a great place to just stay inside. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I have, I'm very lucky. I have a very large big windows in my house so I can look at the sky and the green, but as soon as I go outside, it's like, then you die. no, it's yeah. been beautiful. Do you like and a face mask when you're like commuting? Yeah, exactly. I should <laughs> actually, that's a really good idea. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> that is a, I will, no, I'll let you like, know when I do that. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Take a picture. It'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Alana, let's dive in. Um, okay. How did you get started in theater? Like what was the first moment and what has uh, the journey been like from then until now? So I was very lucky. I grew up in St. Petersburg, Florida, and I was really lucky because when I was uh, put in school with my parents, they had just started a magnet program at the elementary school that I was going to go to, um, which was Perkins Elementary. And so um, we went in and the magnet program had all kinds of arts classes. So there were theater, dance, arts, music, And I, in the fourth grade is when you get to pick a focus, which you get an extra class essentially and whatever focus you pick. And I was torn between dance and theater because I was doing ballet at the time and I really loved it. But the teacher who was doing the theater course did face painting and he was really good at it. So (laughs) I thought, well... That's in my, you know, I don't know how old you are in the fourth grade, but in my fourth grade brain, I was like, oh, that's totally the the selling point for me here. <laughs> so I went into the theater focus and we did productions. We did big productions and shows. Um, and that was a super fun thing to be a part of. So I was just dancing and singing on stage. And in fifth grade, I thought like, I'm 
Broadway bound or I'm going to be a ballet dancer in Russia. That was also my other <laughs> like, main dream in my head. So, uh, so that was it. And then when you finish the program in elementary school, there's a magnet school um, in middle school that you could go to that also had a really great theater program. And that's really where I met my um, one of my first mentors who not only was teaching everybody on stage, but he had an extensive background in technical theater. Mm -hmm. And there would be competitions for the um, thespian festivals, Mm -hmm. um, engineer thespians that we would do. And part of it was when you were doing these one-act plays, you were um, trying to fit your set into a certain size area. And I was in charge of getting the set to fit in that four by six or some sort of square space when we went to the state competition. And that was kind of the first glimpse I had into what technical theater was. We also were doing performances in middle school at the time, and we had some lighting equipment and some sound equipment. And so um, I got interested in moving the lights and setting the lights and setting up the sound. And that was kind of the first exposure I had to to something that wasn't on stage. Mm -hmm. And then just very luckily in high school, there was actually, it was another arts program school and there was a technical theater focus. So you could be in the theater program where you could have your own um, coursework in technical theater. And that's when I learned about drafting and costume construction and it was it's actually amazing when I look back and think back on it now how um how fantastic that program was it was called Pinellas County Center for the Arts at Gibbs High School and that program's still going super strong so it was it's kind of one of the first programs of its kind where not only is it um arts education focused and then it goes into theater but then it subsequently goes into technical theater and there's been so many successful people that have come out of that program that are still working in the industry today so by the end of high school i knew that technical theater was where i was going to go but i was mostly interested in lighting um while I was still living in Florida, I had a, a little theater company with some friends and we would put on productions and lighting was kind of my main interest at the time. So when looking at, at universities, I was thinking of doing design and stage management had kind of been there also, but uh, lighting was really where I wanted to go. And I thought I was going to go to New York City because that's where I thought everybody had to go if you wanted to work in theater. So I was looking at NYU and I was looking at some schools up there. Um, And it was at that point that I realized that I don't really like New York City. (laughs) Like New York is a little bit intense for me. Um, Although I had a lot of friends that had moved up there for school um, and I was, would visit them a lot and I would have a great time, but I just never really saw myself being in the city and a good friend of mine, Michael Finkel, who is now a, a casting agent for William Morris is um, uh, at that time had just gotten into the director program at Carnegie Mellon University. And I had never heard of Carnegie Mellon. Um, I, 
And then when I did hear of Carnegie Mellon, I thought it was a really great engineering school. I didn't know that it was going to be, <laughs> I, I, I had no idea that it was a, an amazing theater, mm-hmm. uh, theater program. It's actually the oldest theater program in the United States. That's so funny. Um, I didn't realize that they were known for engineering. I only, Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> Huge. I mean, and it was so funny because when you would tell people, I'm, go- I, uh, I'm going to Carnegie Mellon, I'm like, Oh my gosh, for what? For engineering, for computer science, I'm like for a theater. <laughs> They're like, Oh, that's interesting. But he was the one, this guy was the one that really introduced me to this school. And when I went there, I fell in love with it because it was, it was a big enough program, but it still had the feeling of a campus, which was something that I really wanted for my college experience was to have a campus. And that was not something that I could get if I was going to somewhere in New York. Mm -hmm. So I wound up going to Carnegie Mellon and having a great time. And I learned a lot there and met a lot of amazing people. And in the summers, I did various jobs. So one of my first professional um, gigs was I was working at a theater in Florida um, at a roadhouse there for the education department. And then I was working in Hawaii for a little bit for an events company out there. Um, But then between my junior and senior year, I applied for an internship with Cirque du Soleil. And uh, went through the interview process, uh, met them over at USATT, and subsequently got an internship at O, which is at the Bellagio. It's the one with the water. Mm-hmm. And so I did that. And then I went back to school to finish my degree. And about two months before I finished my, um, before I graduated, I got a call that they were looking for somebody temporarily to cover at O. And I asked if I could go a little bit early from school. And they said yes, thankfully. And so I wound up going there and then that temporary position became a program position. And that has been my professional career for essentially the last 10 years has been with Cirque du Soleil. And that is a very strange thing to say, as I say. That. <laughs> it's cool. And I have to imagine that your sort of beginnings in dance have been incredibly useful working in Cirque. Yes. So I was one of those people that in my brain, I thought that I was this amazing dancer. I'm a terrible dancer, but <laughs> what, what, but I didn't, you know, I didn't get that. And bless my parents. They're so supportive and they've been supportive through everything in my life. And it included the performing aspect of the things that I did when I was younger, but yeah, no, that was never, ever going to happen <laughs> in a million years. Um, but what it did teach me was a working vocabulary of some of, um, the things that I still interact with, you know, now in my job, it also teaches you about what backgrounds, at least very, you know, in a juvenile way almost, but it does teach you kind of the backgrounds of what, a, a training program for somebody who's doing something physical is, which is many, 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 many hours of your day committed to dance or sport or singing or acting, you know, and there's a certain amount of time commitment that is put in as an investment that these people do on stage that is not always talked about. Mm-hmm. You talk about when you get the job or when they get the job and the commitment of what the job is, but the amount of training that people go through to get to those jobs is a whole separate commitment of, you know, life. Mm-hmm. So, so in that respect, it gives you, for me, it gives me a little bit of a, an inside look into what their commitment and their sacrifices for their 
themselves have been getting to this point. Um, but I'm currently in the process of trying to pull out the vocabulary again of what, you know, I had been used to knowing when I was dancing more, which has been fun. When I came to Vegas, um, I danced a little bit. I found a, a studio that, um, had a, an adult class and I would take that, um, just to kind of keep myself in it, but that that's not happening anymore. <laughs> so now you are general stage manager at Mystere. Is that mm-hmm. still correct? Um, awesome. Yeah. Give us a snapshot of what that looks like. No idea. <laughs> what, does that look, what does that look like for me? <laughs> you know, the great thing about the job, one of the many great things about the job is that it's a different um, you come to work every day and it's something different every day, which I appreciate and need when you've been doing the same job or with the same company for so long. So the recently the company has gone through a restructure. This um, took place in August of 2018, where um, the it used to be the structure of the shows had their own artistic director company manager at every show at, at one of the um, the six shows at the time that we had in Las Vegas. When we did this restructuring, we wound up consolidating the amount of artistic support for the shows and those artistic directors went away and we created senior teams that oversee multiple shows. So currently my role is much more aligned with what a production stage manager would be in typical theater land. Um, Cirque du Soleil being a French Canadian company has all kinds of words that um, we've just sort of made up for our own use because we're kind of on our own little island in terms of an industry. A general stage manager is one of them, um, but it's most closely aligned with what a production stage manager is. And now in this new role has subsequently become much more artistic as well because the the show has been set a certain way and without the presence of an artistic director solely at one individual show, it's um, required the general stage managers to take on a little bit more of the eyes and ears in terms of a reporting aspect um, that then we can take and get back to the artistic director. So I manage a team of um, three other stage managers, two stage managers, an assistant stage manager. And then we also have two on-calls that work with us and work uh, with other shows in Las Vegas. And then um, in addition to that management of the 78 artists that we currently have um, for Misto. So those are sort of my direct reports. And I work alongside two other um, managers in the operations management team, which is myself, a technical manager and associate company manager. And so between the three of us, we are in charge of the operations for the show. Mine being more artistic, you have somebody that represents technical and then somebody that represents a a more of the business aspect um, day to day. But after that, who knows what we're really doing. <laughs> <laughs> That's just a lot. That just sounds like a lot of like people and a lot of um, politics, but not in like the negative sense of politics, but just like understanding how all of these different groups, people are moving together. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, what about during the actual run of the show? Yep. So I, um, it varies nightly. I do that um, with the team so that the stage management team and myself 
never feel complacent or get bored. Mm -hmm. If we were to do the same thing every night or run the same track every night, it would be uh, painful. And also, you know, nobody would want to do that. So that would become dangerous. I have to imagine. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you need to be able to give yourself a mental respite, um, as well. So I'll call the show. I usually call, we do 10 shows a week. I'll call, uh, usually four shows of that week. So two days, cause we do two shows uh, a day. Um, and then the rest of that time right now is me spent in the office, um, doing, you know, my more management office stuff that mm-hmm. I have to do, uh, every once in a while I'll, I'll be backstage doing the tracks and that's something that I really miss doing. But in this new role, it's been more apparent to me that calling the show, which is much more mentally taxing is really where I can be the best support to the team at the moment. Um, but there, there are occasions when I'll get to be backstage because that's a great feeling to be able to be with everybody. And it, it, it's a nice energy and can kind of break up the week, which is super fun. Yeah, absolutely. So do you miss, um, I don't want to say you're only doing four shows because that's still a lot of shows to call. Mm-hmm. Um, but do you miss kind of being hands-on um, on a daily basis? Um, I mean, I am very much hands-on in other ways. Mm-hmm. So I don't necessarily um, miss it. Cause there are other things that I can do during the day. Cause that's the show operation is only a half of the day. That's the last, if you're looking at a eight hour a day, mm-hmm. that's the last four hours. There's still the first four hours, which involve the trainings that we have going on on stage, um, meetings and more managerial, you know, kind of, kind of tasks that you have to attend to. Um, so I, I still get to see everybody and I still get to get that energy. Um, but but it, you know, being backstage would always be fun. You know, I, I, I would enjoy doing that more, but it, of, of, in the way that the job works right now, it's just not a reality um, to be able to get back there for every show. Let's say. Yeah. Cool. Do you see yourself? I mean, I don't, we can cut this out if you're not comfortable. answering. <laughs> but I'm wondering if how long you see yourself in Vegas um, with Cirque or like, do you like being planted in this way? Or are you interested mm-hmm. in touring or moving somewhere else? You know, I sh- that was one of the things that I really wish I did when I first got here was to get on a tour because touring with Cirque du Soleil is kind of one of the dream, dream things to have, you know, in, on your bucket list. And, and, and especially if you can get on one of the big top shows, because for us, traditionally, the tense shows are kind of nostalgia that's where how we started as a company you know the traveling circus going to see it in a tent there's just something if if anybody hasn't seen a circus show i would very much recommend seeing it in a tent first because there's mm-hmm. something magical about that um and then when you're doing that you you can be you know at all points of the world it's it's really remarkable being able to essentially have somebody pay for you to travel obviously <laughs> you're working super super hard mm-hmm. um but there is something to be said about being able to go off and see parts of the world. Um, but having been in Las Vegas, as long as I have been at this point in time, it might be difficult for me to get back to going on the road. If it was a temporary situation, that would be amazing. Um, but I've got my home here. I've got my dogs here. I've got, you know, my life here. Um, but you know, I, I never say never to, what the possibilities are on the horizon in terms of what the company, you know, as a whole, um, I love working for this company. It's been very difficult and very stressful at times, 
but I see myself working for Cirque du Soleil for as long as I can. Mm-hmm. That's um, wonderful. That's a huge recommendation for the company. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, we've gone through, the company has gone through a lot of changes it, and that's been difficult for a lot of people. And I won't say that it hasn't been easy for me either. You know, that as companies get bigger and continue to expand, which is what we have done, it, you get much more of a corporate focused culture around, around, this industry. And that is difficult when you're not, when you, you're a grassroots family, you know, style company at your core, but you're, you're wanting to continue to expand and change and sort of fit with a new working structure that allows you to have more product and more people involved with your company. So it's been, um, in the 10 years that I've been here, you've seen quite a shift in culture in that respect. But for me, um, I still have a lot of value, you know, for, for what it is that I do working for this company is really special to me. And I hope to continue to be able to do that for as, as long as I can. Awesome. It's really awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Alana, tell us a vivid memory that you have of the theater. Mm. I remember the first time I went to New York to see a Broadway show um, and this is actually a really funny story. I went to, <laughs> I went to New York for a class trip and I went to one of the shows that we were going to see was Aida, which is one of my favorite musicals. I love the music. Oh, yeah. Aida. Um, and I remember walking into the theater and I remember we were all, um, we had to wear red cause that was the way that the chaperones could spot us. So we were all in these like various colors of red jackets and, I think it was fall or winter and it was cold. And anyway, I walked into the theater and I was so overwhelmed with the space and the size and then the show. And uh, one of my best friends, uh, Amy, was with me and we were talking about it and we were so excited to be there. Um, Cut to, I still remember. And at that time, I was really into the posters and I got all the signed posters and all of that when you go to the theater. Um, Cut to when I came to uh, Mister and my boss, my artistic director, um, Tim Smith, is an original company member of that show. And my poster is signed by him. (gasps) So the first time I ever saw a Broadway show, the guy that was going to be in my life currently in, in such a pivotal role for me was on stage performing however many years ago that was and putting that all together because that was such a special moment of me as my my first show to see and then now I'm working with him and he's a dear friend of mine now that's just crazy and everybody talks about how small the theater community Mm -hmm. is but that is really small when that happens to you that is really small (laughs) did you totally totally fan person were you like oh my god Well, I I went home and I took a picture of my poster (laughs) and I, cause at that time I knew what his signature looked like. And I was like, no, look, that's so weird. And I, I, you just had a a straight, like it's followed me in this weird way. when I was at um, school in Carnegie Mellon, I was taking a a dance class there called Broadway styles, where they basically teach you the choreography for big show audition Mm -hmm. calls. Um, and so I, at the time, like the only, the only choreography that I kind of remember is when we did, um, Aida in that class. So it's kind of like followed. And I remember when I was learning that, I was like, wow, this is my first Broadway show. And then 
more years go by and I'm like, wow, this is the weirdest like connection of how I eat is like come full circle for me. So, so yeah, that was probably one of my most vivid memories. That's, that's still memory. going. <laughs> yeah. Well, it'll be funny to see like how it keeps coming up. I know. Maybe I'm destined to do like a Aida revival. There you go. Or Cirque du Soleil will do like a Aida inspired <laughs> show that I'll, I'll work on. There's an so idea. Do you remember who the lead was when you saw it? Yeah, Heather Headley was in it, okay. um, and Sherry Renee Scott, um, and I don't remember who the guy was, but Heather Headley was definitely in it because um, I think she's a phenomenal performer and singer. And yeah, and then it's been really cool to talk to Tim about what his experience was like and hear yeah. how all the people were. And um, yeah, it was really cool. That's really cool. What an yeah. awesome story. I get a lot of those like, oh, this thing happened, you know, 20 years ago. And then this thing happened yeah. last year. Yeah. It's crazy how that happens. What is the most important lesson that you have learned in the theater? Mm. I've learned a lot in the theater and I continue to learn things every day by the people that I'm surrounded with, which is really, I'm really fortunate in that manner. But one of the things that I, in, I've learned probably the most when I have been teaching. So I do a lot of, um, mentorship programs and uh, university outreach programs. And one of my colleagues, Stacey Myers, who's the general stage manager of CA at MGM, she and I go do these sort of scholastic university tours. And she's always said this statement that I find to be really true. And that is that at the end of the day, when you're dealing with people, regardless of whether it's in the arts or not, but in any sort of management role, it, it can be quite difficult because you're dealing with people and everybody is different and everybody ha- is able to perceive information and body language and tone of voice at a different, in a, in a different sort of capacity. But what is kind of unifying in that um, is the, is the fact that everybody really just wants to be considered. And there's an art in being able to consider and giving value and power to people who have ideas and suggestions. And subsequently, even if you don't ultimately go in that direction, um, making sure that people feel considered and considering their, their, um, their ideas uh, and the things that they say to you, I think is a sort of telltale sign of what makes a really strong manager. Cause We've all been, I think, in, in situations where you have an idea that you're, or a suggestion that you're really passionate about, and it, you get shut down pretty quickly, or it gets written off pretty fast. And it might not be the person's intention. It might be because it, you're short on time, or they're in a bad mood, or whatever. But the way that that makes you feel lingers for so long that your, your ideas and your values were not considered, and therefore it makes you just feel really bad. And so that's been something that I've been working on more and more as I continue to grow in my own role as a manager is making sure that I invest in that um, because I think it's important. And I've seen the positive effects of being able to consider what everybody has to say. It doesn't mean that you have to agree. It doesn't mean that you have to say, okay, yeah, let's do that. You know, you can say, well, maybe not for this project or maybe not at this time, but let's hold on to that idea and maybe it can be a value in the future. Yeah. Um, 
I think when you get, like when people are not considered, um, even more like, yes, there are positive effects for like feeling like you're being listened to and being heard. Um, but the negative effects of being shut down like that, it just sort of like stops the flow. Yeah. Right. If I'm like, oh, well, every time I have an idea, I get shut down. So why am I going to even bother like brain space having ideas? Right. Yep. And it only takes one time. It only takes one time for that negative impact to happen. And it is extremely difficult to come back from that. And that's where being self-aware of how you respond to stress or how you respond to bad days is important as a manager, because as soon as you get into that hole with somebody else to come back out of it is is such a challenge to to do. Yeah, that's a really good point. So like your self-care has to be really um, strong. And because when you're in a higher vibe, then you're more likely to listen and to be open. But if you were like cranky or hungry or whatever, um, then you're so much more likely to like shut other people down. Right. Well, self-care, but self-awareness too. And Mm -hmm. I meant that to me um, because I'm all about self-care. But for me, being more self-aware of what makes me tick is really what's been um, the most helpful because everybody will have a bad day. And I don't care if you have, if you have the best Mm self-care regimen on the planet, you know, you're always going to, there's going to be bad days. That's part of being a human being. Um, but what is important is how you respond to your bad days and, you know, can remove yourself from situations if you need to, and be able to come back when you're not in a bad spot. The last thing you want to do is make decisions or interact with people when you're not in the right mindset to be able to do that. And it's much better and much stronger to take a step away and reevaluate and come back when you're at, you know, in a better place with it. My, my response to stress to really any emotion is to cry. I cry (laughs) all the time. Um, I cry when I'm happy. I cry when I'm sad. I cried all through Game of Thrones last night. So (laughs) I'm a crier and I am a self-proclaimed crier and that's just how I deal with, you know, my emotions. But I know what will trigger that. And if it is something that's a stressful situation, I know what I need to do to be able to remove myself and then come back when I'm not going to do that in front of a bunch of, you know, giant Russian men. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Especially in a professional situation. Exactly. Exactly. It's not to say that those kinds of uh, emotional responses aren't okay. They totally are. I'm the first person to tell anybody, you know, take a minute, take a break. Um, but I, being able to know more what makes me tick or what's going to set me off, I'm able to protect myself and my peace better going into stressful situations because, you know, the show part aside, which is its own beast of stress on one end, just dealing with people or large groups of people, you know, you do get yourself into stressful situations and you want to make sure that you're able to maintain your integrity and your composure, um, even when you're under pressure. And if you're not able to do that, it's better to take a a step aside and come back to it later. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what's a challenge that you're facing right now? I am facing more just from like myself I'm facing, I don't really know what to do next. I've always been a really goal oriented person and I've been very fortunate in my career, um, having come from school and been with the company basically straight out of school. And right now I'm at the top of my, my game. This is the highest I can go in my current position. So for me to continue to want to grow with the company, it, 
I need to figure out what else I want to do. I'm really young. I'm 31. So I've got a super long career, hopefully ahead of Mm -hmm. me. And I don't want to just stay complacent in a one spot because that's the easiest thing to do. Also because uh, I would do that. <laughs> like it, it would be totally easy for me to just, you know, be comfortable and stay, you know, safe in my, in the stuff that I already know. But I know that that's not realistic and I need to get back on having more goals for myself professionally. Cause that's how I've always been. And first it was getting an internship and then it was working for the company. And then I was an assistant. And so then it was to be able to call the show. Then I called the show and then it was to get a permanent job as a stage manager. And then I got that. And then it was a a temporary general stage management job. And then it was become a a permanent general. So I've gone through and there was always a set goal for me to Mm -hmm. achieve and what would be the next natural path of, of continuation. But I don't have that next step in place now. And I need to figure that out. (laughs) Cool. Thanks for sharing. Mm -hmm. Um, What is something that you do in your theatrical work that if I applied that same strategy in my life, it would make my life better? Mm. Your life better. That's so great. I mean, I am super fortunate that with what's what Cirque du Soleil is in a company as a company you're exposed to such a diverse group of people and individuals uh that come from all over the world and have such uh vastly differing backgrounds culturally um from a religion standpoint from every sort of every sort of uh, socioeconomic standpoint you could, you know, think of, um, that being truly open to diversity and inclusion in this world that we live in now is about exposing yourself to things that are different and understanding that just because it's different doesn't mean that it's scary or not okay, or, you know, your way is right. It's just different. And understanding what the word different means as not being something to be afraid of, but just accepting it as a true difference and moving on from there, I think has been really beautiful. That's, you know, when people come to the shows, I always think like if there was somebody like a politician or world leaders that could come by and just see how, this tiny community of people from all over the world operate together, the world would be a better place. Mm. And that has been such a beautiful thing for me to see through wars and conflicts between countries and, you know, to be able to see in this tiny little like home that there's people. So at Mystere, for example, there's over 18 countries just at at Mystere, 18 different countries. And those countries can sometimes be at odds with each other, but everybody somehow makes it work and people have friends from all over the world. The most beautiful moments are usually around sporting events. I love watching the Olympics at work. Watching the Olympics at work is one of the greatest things (laughs) I think I've ever experienced. It's this 
insane feeling of joy and pride and pride that other people have in their countries and in their sports and in their backgrounds. Everybody's sitting all together on a couch watching a race or watching a gymnastics competition and everybody cheering for, you know, their own, their own team that and the um, world cup for soccer Mm -hmm. is really something that's quite moving and really special. And everybody's like into it and cheering for each (laughs) other. And it's, so it's been a whole new eye-opening experience for me when you think about what diversity and inclusion really means um, from a, from a cultural perspective, uh, that's really opened my eyes to a lot of things since being there. Maybe that's the next branch of Cirque as they grow is to do um, corporate trainings and trainings for politicians yeah. and government. Yeah, I mean, it really would be. That's a great idea. We should totally pitch that. You should you know, uh, <laughs> pitch that and then come if you like it. <laughs> that's so great. Because we've done in the past, we've done you know s- sort of cultural trainings, but it's been more about what can you overcome from a fear perspective because of of the stage and aspect of performance? But what is equally as beautiful aside from what these people can do with their bodies is what they what their backgrounds are. Mm-hmm. And that is everybody has their own story and each story is so unique and fascinating that you could spend forever just learning about where they all come from. Yeah. Do they all speak English or French? No. Okay. So most people speak some sort of amount of English. And if they don't truly speak any English, there's always somebody else that we've got in the show that speaks whatever their language is, whether that's Spanish, Russian. Um, I think it's a common misconception that the French portion of the company is as um, prevalent, at least at in Las Vegas, as it is for being a French Canadian company in, in our International headquarters, which is located in um, Montreal, it is totally the case. But for the resident shows in Las Vegas, most of us speak English, and not everybody speaks French. Mm-hmm. Um, I always thought to have a job in what I do now that I would have to speak French, and I speak zero French. Mm-hmm. I know how to say backpack, and <laughs> I can probably count to ten. Backpack is my favorite French word. What it's is it? Sacadol. Sacadol. And I think I like it so much because it sounds really intense. So if you get into an argument and you don't want to be offensive, you could call somebody a stack adult or like, like throw it out as like a curse word, but really you're just saying backpack. And I found that really fascinating. <laughs> but that was, I took a, a French course uh, out when I was out here and that was the only thing that I <laughs> That's the only ultimately thing took away from it. But I, it's a really great word. <laughs> It's a really good one. Okay. Do you think that everyone should have access to theater as a curriculum, whether it's in like childhood, adolescence, or adulthood? Yes. (laughs) Why? You're so serious. Yes. (laughs) Yes, I do. I think everybody should have access to arts education. I think arts education is one of the most important parts of, of education, especially at an early age. But what theater gives you is a way to be able to work with people. It teaches you how to be tolerant. It teaches you to have empathy, to have acceptance, to understand criticism and how to 
hear what healthy criticism sounds like and what a healthy response to criticism would be. It teaches you about human expression and the such a, a vast spectrum of what human expression can be. And all of those at the core of it are what make you a more well-rounded human being. I, I want people to know what empathy is. I think as a society, um, having empathy is hugely important. And how do you learn some of those basic human um, expressions and, and, and ways of dealing with uh, situations, if not for theater? There's theater in everyday life, whether people will pretend that they're acting or not, but theater is an <laughs> integral part of, of what life is and what it is to be human in general. It's, it always has been. It doesn't need to be you standing on a stage and reciting a monologue, but you know that's one of the greatest ways. Art in general and theater especially is one of the greatest ways to connect you to what it really means to be human. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so valuable important, and important that people have access to that. It's not comfortable, um, you know, just because you have access to it doesn't mean that people are going to be comfortable doing that in front of other people, but at least hearing about it and learning about it and understanding it, even if it's not for you in a performance aspect, I still think is, is so important. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I mean, I always like, I ask the question and like, everyone says yes, but it's like the, yeah, the reasons says, why, why is like the interesting yeah, part of the question. <laughs> you know, I, I just, I can't stress that enough. And I think that's why at the end of the day, I feel very passionate about arts education, about mentorship and about um, going out and teaching. And I have a huge amount of respect for educators that do that um, wherever they are in in you know whether it's higher education or starting at in elementary school i wouldn't be who i was today if i didn't know tim topper who was that first teacher when i was in the fourth grade that painted my face you know and he, he i wouldn't be the same person without you know all the various mentors that i've had in my life and even if i went and worked in a bank or worked you know somewhere that was extremely corporate the human aspect of me 100% is attributed to that form of education yeah plus it's just it's fun and it's beautiful and it brings joy and it's you know all of the great things in life can be attributed to art I think and there's also a profound you know emotional uh you know sadness or distress that can come with it as well but on the flip side of that you get you know the most beautiful parts of what the human expression can be as well yeah the word transcendent is coming to mind Mm -hmm. Um, because it does I think it helps um whether we're excuse me um (laughs) whether we're creating and co-creating or whether we are in the house as an audience member it helps us to transcend like the nitty-gritty of today and sure. of just the like I have to like go to the bathroom in real life you know and I have to like yeah. pay bills like all of these things yeah. and help us get to something a little more meaningful exactly yeah amazing I love it so much I love um, it so much it's, it's so amazing um, it's so nice to hear someone who is um you know you're doing this full-time if not like more than full-time mm-hmm. Um, and really consistently, but you're still so passionate about how beautiful and important and meaningful it is. Yeah. Uh, This is like, I tell people 
we are so fortunate regardless of what you do in the theater on and off stage, if you're in an office helping in, in producing, or if you're at a ticket counter, or if you have any kind of connection to this world, we are the most fortunate people because at the end of the day, our job and what we get paid to do is bring joy and entertainment into the lives of people. And there is really no greater gift. And I truly mean that because you know, people come and for 90 minutes, they forget that somebody's sick or they forget that they've got their bills to pay or that life is really hard. And they're there for pure entertainment and amusement. And what other profession is there whose sole purpose is to bring just joy to the world? And it's as impactful on stage as it is off. Cause as they say, you know, it, it takes a village, but it's a true gift to be able to have that as your profession. Yes, art can sometimes be thought-provoking or can be on the more tragic end or um, controversial, so on and so forth, but it's still a form of entertainment and it's still a form of passion that is a respite, I think, in what life has become for so many people. And to be able to do that for a living is is we are so lucky. We are so lucky to do that. It's just, and anytime that it gets really hard or really stressful, that's always the thing that brings me back to it. At the end of the day, I work for a circus and that should be fun. (laughs) You know, like how hard can it really be? Yes. It can be really hard. Like, I'm not going to lie. It can be, it can be hard, but it's still a circus. It's still, you know, I love that. at the end of the day, that's what it is. And it should be that. It should be that for the people that perform it. It should be that for the people that come see it. And it should be that for me, you know, and for all of the people that are in management roles because it's entertainment, it's live entertainment. And that's just the coolest thing to be able to say that you, and people pay me to do this. Like, <laughs> I mean, they, they should pay me to do it because there are parts of it that are quite yeah, challenging, really but, 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 you know, it, it is, it's an awesome feeling when you remember that, like, well, I have really made a difference. And when people reach out and say things like I was going through a really difficult time and I watched your show and I felt so much better, or, you know, I, I will remember seeing the show because it was the last time that my family was all together and we all saw it on a family trip. Or, you know, I, I remember as a child walking into the tent for the first time and smelling popcorn and, and being transported to this magical world. It's a lasting impression on people's lives that you get to make positive memories for them. And there's really no greater joy, I think in, yeah. in my head anyway. So. so how do you remind yourself of that? Like if you're having a rough time, if you start to like get bogged down mm-hmm. and just like slogging through all of the stuff, mm-hmm. um, what do you do to remind yourself that it is a circus and it's fun? I go, I go in it. I go watch the show. So where I call from is behind the glass. So I sit up high and then I sit behind a window. Um, you can still kind of hear the audience and you certainly can see the show. But when I get into a really um, difficult place, I go into the theater during some of my favorite parts of the show and I listen to the reaction of the audience. Mm-hmm. And that it's an instant it's almost instantaneous how much of a reminder that is of just hearing like a little kid laugh. Oh my goodness. Hearing little kids laugh. I'm very excited. <laughs> it's like, you know, 
it doesn't take much for me, I guess. <laughs> like, but you go, you go in there and you hear somebody laugh or you hear the music live and it's, it's really moving and people are clapping or the gasps, you know, just the audible, like stillness of the room when something really amazing is going on. It, it, it's, it's really rewarding. And subsequently what we try to do for our cast and crew yearly um, is to get them out of the show and have them sit in the, mm-hmm. the house so they can watch it and, and be reminded of why it is they do what they do. Um, Cause everybody deserves to have that opportunity. And it's certainly different from even from a performer's aspect of standing on stage and performing and getting that applause to sitting in the crowd and hearing the, the energy and feeling what that is like as an audience member. And that's been really successful. And I would suggest that for any show that does long runs, whether it's a circus or, or a not, or a play, if you can do that, I, I get that plays are generally much more difficult to be able to do that, especially if they're, they've got, you know, leads. Yeah. A short <laughs> yeah. run, but you know, theme parks is another, you know, form of live entertainment. Those are all places where you could really, do that and you get really great benefits out of it from an employee standpoint when they can be reminded it doesn't take much really yeah yeah i'm thinking too of um for people who are not working full-time in the theater Mm -hmm. it's still possible to get yourself into a show like go see a show yeah i know that for me always like reawakens even if it's not my show like you know if i had nothing to do with this production um, just being in the audience and having that experience again and remembering like the magic of it and hearing people talk when you can tell that they don't really have a background in theater and they're just like, oh my gosh, it was so like, it was magical or I can't believe they did this thing, you know? Yeah. Um, and just yeah. remembering like how really magical it is for people. Yeah. And that's been really great. A great part of living in Las Vegas recently. We have mm-hmm. a new, I guess it's not new anymore, but we have a performing arts center where we get to have the tours like a normal city gets, you know, Mm -hmm. Hamilton will come through or, you know, a symphony will come through and play. And sometimes for me, I don't find as much, um, uh, release when I watch another Cirque show because part of my brain is still in Cirque land. But when I go see a Broadway play or a tour of a concert or something that's coming through those centers, that's for me, like, so great. And I get so excited and you get reminded of the community that you're a part of. Mm -hmm. And just how much awesome work is happening out there. Yeah. So much good work. So much good work. And that's, you know, I've got so many friends that are still in the industry from school, um, that are doing such amazing projects Mm -hmm. and they're, they're just doing some of the, some of the greatest theater, you know, that, makes you feel good. It makes you think. And it's just, it's just been awesome. And that's, you know, the plus powers of social media, though one could argue few and far between that for me has been a really great positive is seeing what people have been working on from an artistic perspective, because there's some really awesome stuff going on. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Alana, last question. Um, Plant a seed in the hearts, minds, spirits are all three of the people who are listening. Mm-hmm. Okay, don't get mad because but I, I, feel, I feel like it goes kind of back to my rant earlier. Remind yourself how lucky we are to be in this industry because it's, 
it's truly a gift and it's a humbling gift and whatever you have to do to remember how great it is and how lucky we are, go ahead and do that because it it really is just awesome. <laughs> and, and, and remind yourself to be grateful and remind yourself to be kind to people and to be kind to yourself in the end, you know? Yeah. But yeah, it just goes like, that's always been sort of my, my, my big thing is to, to remind yourself how lucky and how grateful we are to be here. And when it gets stressful, just, you know, bring it back to it's, it is just the circus. It is just, you know, entertainment and it should be fun and should be enjoyable. And if you're not having fun and you're not enjoying it anymore, then that's when, you know, it's time to put it to bed and move on to do something else that will bring you that kind of joy. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Alana clapped. Sorry, that's kind of so boring when I do it's not boring at all. It's like so to... important. <laughs> it's never, it's never boring. Um, cause it, it's a thought that you have all the time consistently. Yeah. It's fresh and new to me <laughs> and to the people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's always worth being reminded of that. Just like yeah. we're doing really cool stuff that is fun. Yeah. You know? And that's worth yeah. it. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your time and energy yeah, expertise of course. And your stories with us this morning. Uh, if someone wants to, yeah. Someone wants to contact you. They think you're super cool. They want to be your friend. Maybe they've got like an interesting like career next step idea. For yeah. you. Um, how can they get a hold of you? So I'm on, I mean, I'm on social media. I don't, the thing that I don't check are my Facebook messenger mm-hmm. messages. Um, but I'm on Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, if, if people have like a serious inquiry where they're going to offer me millions and millions and millions mm-hmm. of dollars, please reach out to you and you know, yes, you can forward them on yes. <laughs> my email account. <laughs> you can email right. Alana at emilystanis.com. Yes. <laughs> exactly. My agent will be in touch with you shortly. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty accessible through, mm-hmm. through social media, especially on Instagram. And you know, that's why I, the only things really on my Instagram feed are my dogs and my, and food. Cause I've, I'm very passionate about both of those things. Yeah, I highly, <laughs> highly recommend following you for your dogs because your dogs are super cute. So. <laughs> they are really cute. I, I do love them. That's it for today, friends. If you want to chat about what you've heard, learn about upcoming episodes before they drop, or just say hello, you can follow the Find Your Light podcast on Twitter and Instagram at FYL Podcast or on Facebook at Find Your Light Podcast. You can email me anytime, emily at emilystamets.com, or follow me on social media. Most of my handles are at the Emily Stamets. Take a second right now to hit that subscribe button, and why don't you send a couple texts to some of the people that you love, tell them how awesome this podcast is, so they can subscribe too. If you or someone you know would make a great guest, email the Find Your Light team, which of course is me and my cat. You can reach us through any of those emails or any of those social medias. We are especially looking for women of color and people with disabilities. Until next time, friends, stand confidently center stage and enjoy your show.